Peace. Welcome to another episode of Bootstraps. I'm your host, Anephriesian. For those of you that are new to the podcast, please do me a favor and uh, subscribe to the podcast. And if you're on Instagram, go on over and give us a follow at Bootstraps Podcast. So this episode, uh, like every other episode, is going to be a great listen, I think, for you all. It's a really compelling conversation with a dynamic black man that he's he's the type of black man that I really enjoy speaking to at any point in time because it's clear that he has a love for his culture, a love for being black, a love for the people who have cared for him and brought him along in his life. But he's also not just one thing. You know, sometimes being black, we get kind of squished into a box of stereotypes and assumptions. But this brother who I got to sit down and talk with today is pretty diverse in interest in the way in which he's navigated this world. But he is still someone who's a shining example of what it means to be a black man and black excellence. And one of the things that I think is key to him having been able to become the man that he is, is the fact that he gave himself permission to evolve without, as he puts it, um, forgetting where he was evolving from. So striking that balance and the fact that he was able to strike that balance has led him to, you know, built this amazing life with this really compelling story um, and I think you all are going to really enjoy it so I'm not going to belabor the point let's get into it peace welcome to another episode of bootstraps brother why don't you go ahead and tell everybody your name and what it is that you do yeah man thanks for having me um, Aaron Sebron uh, live in Portland Oregon and uh, work for Adidas leading up the uh the baseball category. So excited to be on with you. Awesome, man. Well, I'm super honored to have you come through. And I know some people have been giving me a hard time for all of the Michigan heads I have on here. <laughs> and this is kind of a tweak. I mean, right, you right. didn't, you didn't go to grad school with us, right? but you are kind of a Michigan head. So where, where did you go to undergrad and where did you go to grad school? Yeah. So I guess I, I don't fully break, I don't fully break your habit of Michigan heads. Uh, yeah. <laughs> University of Michigan undergrad, feeling old now, class of 2006, um, studied sports management at Michigan. And then, um, you know, several years later, went to Cornell to get my MBA. So, um, yeah, I came out of Cornell, class of 2012, um, business school. But anytime I went home to a Michigan game, uh, I was hanging with a lot of the mutual friends we have that, <laughs> that were at Roth. So, yeah, Michigan is, is a big part of my heart. You know, my dad went to Michigan. My grandpa went to Michigan. My dad played at Michigan. So, yeah, Michigan is – is what I, I bleed blue always. Yeah, you were you were raised right. That's that's what I say. Right. You know. Right. <laughs> so now, so you made it. You made it out west to Oregon, uh, working for Adidas, running baseball. Like, what is uh, what is that like? And who are some of the kind of marquee athletes that you guys are dealing with? Like, what is what does it all entail? Yeah. No. I mean, great question. I mean, you know, what it's like. It's 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 interesting. It's it's fun. It's exciting. You know, I didn't play baseball beyond little league, and I like to think. You know, I was a pretty good little leaguer. Let me be very clear. You know, I was I was I was a decent little little leaguer, but um, 
yeah, I, you know, I get to work with an awesome team, an awesome group of people. You know, there's people on my team that have played more baseball than I will ever forget. You know, I've, I've, I've had teammates that made it all the way to the big leagues. I have teammates that played in the minor leagues. I've had teammates that played in college. Um, wow. So I get to work with a phenomenal group of people. Um, and then what it all entails is, you know, really three key areas that, that I'm responsible for. So one is sports marketing. Uh, and that's all the athletes and partnerships that we sign to amplify our business efforts. And, you know, mm-hmm. some, some, some good name, you know, Aaron Judge, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, we have a relationship right. with the Little League World Series. Uh, so those are, you know, some of the key kind of big, big names and properties in the space that we're East Coast Pro, which is a, a big uh, showcase for high school, wow. high school baseball players. So those are some of the key properties on the sports marketing side. Uh, all the brand comms. So, um, you know, social media, uh, paid media, creative content um, to, to, again, amplify our business efforts and then product marketing. So all of the cleats and uniforms yep. that we make um, ultimately to to grow our business here in North America, as well as our business uh, in Asia Pacific. So uh, it's a lot of fun. You know, I've been doing I've been in that role for the last uh, just over two years. Um, and I think the the most enjoyable part is getting to turn on a TV screen or go on ESPN and see, you know, see cleats uh, that that our, right. that our team worked on and say, oh, Aaron Judge hit a home run today and our team designed that cleat. Um, but right, also, right, but right. also, you know, really getting to see uh, over the last two years, see my team uh, as individuals just grow, see them uh, grow in their careers, grow in their ability to make an impact. And ultimately, we're all growing together to help try to grow the business. So it's been it's been fun. It's been a super fun, fun role. Yeah, that sounds that sounds like a marketer's dream. And, you know, our, our actual mutual friend, Martin Nance, you know, I remember when I had him on and he was talking to me about what he gets to do uh, in his work uh, with Gatorade. I was like, man, you know, like being able to work with elite athletes like you are, with like Aaron Judge, and, you know, and New York Yankees and being able to develop cleats and products for these folks. So it's not it's it's integrating all the pieces. It's like figuring out who are the athletes you should partner with to amplify your story. What are the products you should be developing that are going to be the foundation of that story and then developing the actual story itself and working with the agency partners, et cetera, to be able to bring that story to life. Like, like when you, when you look back at your career, cause you said you, you majored in sports marketing, you know, in undergrad, was this something that you were like looking towards at the time or is this something that kind of evolved over time to be in this particular type of role? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, and also caveat because he'll probably listen, you know, Martin Nance is one of my favorite all time favorite people. Um, so to hold me, to hold me in the same <laughs> yeah. company as Martin feels really good. Um, uh, that's what's up. But uh, yeah, it, you know, working in sports was always a goal, a dream, um, something I, I thought about, you know, growing up, I played uh, basketball, played a little bit of football. Um, and so when I got to Michigan, when I was picking a major, I was like, okay, well, sports management seems like a good major because it, um, it combines what I love and what I played, you know, for 18 years of my life, sports, and then management on the back end of that, that seems like a great major for me. Um, <laughs> right. And then my dad actually gave me the advice, you know, my dad played in the NFL for a few years uh, and then since he retired he's he's done financial advising uh has had a lot of athletes and entertainer clients um so he gave me the advice when i was an undergrad like hey that's a great major for you but my advice to you would be to go you know go into business go into industry and get a get a hard skill 
Um, so even though I kept sports management as a major, you know, I did internships and, and, you know, my ultimate full-time job coming out of undergrad was on wall street. I worked at Lehman brothers. So, wow. um, yeah, it's been, it was a winding road to get here and get into sports, but it's something that, you know, I've, I've thought about since I was 18 years old. And I think even, you know, my, I made the joke earlier about little league. I think when I was a little leaguer trying to make the all-star team and, and all that, mm-hmm. I think I would, I would pinch myself uh, to say, Oh, I'm, I'm in charge of baseball at a big major brand. So, yeah, it was something I always right. was aiming towards and, you know, went down a couple of different paths and, and got some different experiences before I ultimately got into sports. But um, it was always something I, I wanted to do. And I'm, I'm thrilled to be where I am today, working in working in the sports industry. Yeah, that's that. Wow. That sounds like such a, a rich journey. There's a couple of things. One, I'm edit out the part about Martin Nance being right. one of your favorite people. Right. You can edit it. I guess, you can edit it. I, I, I just don't think he needs that much props, you know? Right. We got always, always got to tear Nance down a little bit. Always got to tear <laughs> him down a little bit. Yeah, just this coach. Now, he's one of my favorite people, too, though. Keep it a buck. Um, the the other piece, you know, I was just on the phone the the other day uh, with, with an athlete for a deal that, that we're working on. So, hoping that we can get that closed and get it out, you know, and make it public soon. Hopefully, but... he, hopefully he was an Adidas athlete, you know, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. Yeah, we could, we could talk more, man, you know, <laughs> you know, when, we get, when we get off the air. All right, all but, right, uh, all right, we can do that. Yeah, but here's, here's the thing, though. It's like, you know, being able to, as a – I grew up football, basketball, baseball player, being now in a position to where I'm working on these deals and these partnerships as well as – building out the entire business strategy, being a PNL owner and all of that stuff, having it make sense. So it's not like, you know, this groupy thing. It's like being able to work with something that you care deeply about, like sports and athletics and athletic competition and being able to talk to and work with this, you know, these new athletes that are out and about and really, you know, in the for- forefront of their sports. Um, but having it actually make business sense you know, that makes it a bit more enriching for me as opposed to just like, oh, I was on the phone with Phil in the blank. You know, I was like, no, I was on the phone with Phil in the blank. And this is going to be a mutually beneficial partnership um, for both of us. Um, I think that's cool. And another thing you, you, you talked about was the advice you got from your father about getting a hard skill. I think it's so vital for people early on in their career to get hard skills because they translate. Yep. You know, like you ended up all the internships you developed in, you know, while you were an undergrad, you ended up landing, landing on Wall Street working for Lehman Brothers. And then from Lehman Brothers, you're now at Adidas. Like, skills translate across different industries. The, once, once you get them, they're yours, and you can, um, you can kind of own your destiny to a large degree. So have you, have you felt like a lot of what you picked up while you were at Lehman Brothers is – really helping you perform well now and at Adidas? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, it's not just Lehman, right. It's, it's, it's all the things before I got before, before you get to any moment, it's all, all the, some of those experiences matter, but yeah, I mean, I think short answer, you know, everything, everything is interdisciplinary. And so, you know, the stuff Mm. I picked up at Lehman is valuable. The stuff I picked up when I worked at nonprofit management leadership for tomorrow is invaluable. The stuff I picked up in business school is valuable. The stuff I picked up at General Mills is valuable. The stuff I picked up my role at Adidas before baseball is super valuable because Mm. um, what 
at the end of the day, like, you know, within, within my current role in baseball, right. My, my day today hopped into one conversation that was very much financial oriented business planning, P and L you name it. Okay. Well, yeah, that was super applicable to my time at Lehman. Then, yep. you know, might hop into another conversation with sports marketing around, okay, these are the guys that are with other brands right now. They're coming up in the next year or two, which ones might make sense for us. And it's like a very much a cultural sport and with the comms team conversation around, okay, this player might be really good, but is he active on social? Uh, is, is he, does he have a personality? It's great that he might hit, you know, 285 or 295, but if you don't have a social presence, how can we build stories uh, mm. with, with that individual? So that's more of a, like a, you know, left brain conversation. And then, you know, hop into meeting with my comms team around, okay, we're going to present to the central brand organization about our content plans for the next 30, 60, 90 days that came from somewhere else. So, yeah, I think all the experiences add upon themselves and, you know, I'm, you know, whenever I, you know, you, when you get into the sports industry, you tend to hear from a lot of young folks who say, Oh, I want to work in sports. I want to work in sports. I always tell people I'm super, my approach, not that, not that there's a right approach because there isn't, you know, there's only, there's no silver bullet. I'm thank, right. I'm thankful for, the way um, it played out for me, because I think those those various skills and experiences, I get to draw on them in different ways every single day. But I mean, I could you can also point to people that went into the sports industry right out of undergrad and made it all the way up to the top. It's just a matter of of choice. Um, but yeah, to short answer, yeah, I think all the experiences were really really valuable. Yeah, I mean, I think I mean you just gave like a perfect. Uh narrative that validates or you know sometimes sometimes like confirmation bias but for me it it validates a point that um i learned about halfway along my journey and so i've been trying to push for anyone who i talk to that's coming up behind me so hopefully they could you know learn from my experience and be able to kind of get up the career curve much more quickly like beginning of your career you need to build skills yeah and those skills then will be with you forever and you because it's if you really want to be in a big chair and be effective while you're in a big chair you have to have interdisciplinary skills you know i remember at this moment in a former life when i was at clorox it just like burned in my brain i've had several since but this one i was in a meeting where we were looking at i'm trying to deal with a global supply shortage of high quality pine oil that we that we needed to put in pine saw and and so we're trying to figure out how to solve that problem and we were running up against time so we had to make sure had a hard stop and i ran from that meeting where i'm in the weeds about pine oil suppliers globally and then i run to a creative meeting where the ad agency is revealing uh our first look at the commercial, yeah. a new national media campaign they were rolling out, which is kind of, you know, that's like the world series for a marketer, right? Right. Is when you're, when you're looking at when the agencies they are presenting and all the muckety mucks come over to kind of roll out the, or the first reveal of the new advertising campaign and the TV campaign. And so those things couldn't be any more different. And I was like, wow, this is kind of my job. Like I went from this meeting and I have to be present and engaged and I ran to another meeting and they used a different set of skills. But the reason why I was able to be in that chair and be 
a part of the team that's helping to make these really big decisions is because I build, I compiled a certain set of skills. It wasn't like I just did one thing or it's like, there wasn't this straight line from like A to B. So build skills, it makes you much more desirable and flexible. And I also think it's something that's important for us to learn within our culture more broadly. It's like, you want to be, you want to have a skill set that you can flex and adapt to any situation so you can be in really high demand, you know? For sure, for sure. And I think, you know, funny side note, it's funny, you know, you spent time in CPG, I spent time in CPG. Isn't it funny, like, those stories, you, like, you know, you're, like, you're telling a story about pine, pine oil, you know, that reminded me of, like, a time I was working on Betty Crocker cookies and we had moved to a new factory. I was pretty new on the desk. And it was like, you know, the, the operations lead, the new factory was in Lodi, California. And it was a, un, it was an unseasonably hot summer and we were getting ready to make mint chocolate chip cookies, you know, mix for the holidays. And it was like, the chips are melting on the line and Aaron, what should we do? You know, and it was just like, right. so here you tell that story about pine oil, you know, it's just so funny. Like CPG is like, but to your point, like you, you start telling these weird stories. Okay. I have to figure out with the team how we solve the pine oil problem or the melting point of a chocolate chip problem <laughs> but to your point um those experiences like that's like a, okay how do you solve a problem how do you deal with a crisis how do you uh calm the waters when people are starting to freak out and so 100 percent agree with you in that um getting those experiences i think help you when you get to a different seat, a bigger seat. And I think a thing that is, is lost sometimes is that notion of delayed gratification, right? Like I think a lot of, a lot of young folks, um, or even not even just young folks, you know, coming out of grad school, right? Like everybody's like, I want to do X. Cool. Like I I didn't, I didn't, my X wasn't work with a cross-functional team to figure out how do we change chocolate chips to a higher melting point chip? So we don't, (laughs) we don't miss the, we don't miss the Comac at Walmart. That wasn't my ex. That wasn't my, Oh, this right. is what I'm dreaming to do. But right. it was important to have those experiences and do those things to then get to um, other things that were more aligned with what I'm truly passionate about. And so I think hundred percent agree with you in that some of those things you have to un- endure and some of those things you have to experience, but they put tools in your toolbox that when you get to other chairs, you're able to pull out those tools and, and apply them to the situation absolutely it's i mean it's super valuable to be able to do that um and you know i remember uh like being in a being in a situation recently where there's no one for me to look to like when i was dealing with you know uh it's like before i've had to deal with an ad agency and being in a more junior chair but being in the room right? You're building these skills. And that moment when I was in a junior chair, I wasn't sitting there like huffing and puffing and pouting that I was in that more junior chair. I took it as an opportunity to learn. So now I needed to go hire a new agency because we're working on this new content platform that's being built from the ground up. And there's no one at the company who's done this before. Right. So I needed to be the one to go RFE to agency, bring them in, review them, make sure that they had the skills and qualifications to deliver what I needed. And then I'm the one that's reviewing the scripts. I'm the one that's having these conversations with them to make sure that the old, the, the end product is going to deliver against our business strategies. And so people might look at where I'm at now and be like, yeah, I want that chair. I want that role, but you got to 
the skills that you acquire where you're f- figuring out the melt point or the global, you know, supply shortage <laughs> of pine oil or, you know, being the note taker in the meeting with the creative agency 10 years ago is the reason why I could talk to an agency now and check them for their qualifications and make sure that they're actually capable of delivering what I need versus not. You know, you have to you have to take time. You got you got to follow in short. You got to follow if you want to learn to lead. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't. Have, yeah. I couldn't have said it better. You don't even have to ask me a question on that one. I couldn't even say it better because I think, yeah, you got to be willing to, you know, toil in in obscurity for a while before you uh, before you're kind of in the spotlight. So yeah, I mean, 100% agree. You gotta you gotta build. You gotta learn. You gotta you gotta pay your dues. Um, and then in doing that, when when the ball is passed to you, if you if you paid those dues, if you've learned, if you've toiled you're going to be ready to make the shot. So, so real, which is, you know, I've, I've, anyone who's listened to all of these episodes, they will have picked up by now that I think that actually playing sports is so valuable in a young person's development. I think it's almost as valuable as what you do in the classroom. Now, I think unfortunately sometimes in our community, it gets overvalued um, and, you know, it can be out of balance, but, I think sports should be a part of it because it prepares you for those moments when you have to be accountable, right? Like that whole metaphor you just used of, you know, toiling in obscurity. So when it's time to take the shot, like that's actually something that happens in a basketball game. Yep. You know, and so it's good to uh, kind of be prepared. And, you know, speaking of which, that's a, that's like a great segue. So here it is, you know, now you're like, you know, running the baseball, uh, business unit um at adidas you're developing cleats and communications and partnerships with folks like aaron judge but like where did you come from you know because i always like to help people understand where um my guests come from because you don't just turn into like who you are like overnight you don't wake up one day you know playing Xbox and then boom, you're now qualified and ready to right. to run, you know, the, the business unit or the baseball business unit for Adidas. So like, where, where did you come from? Where did you grow up? What was your family situation like? Let's, let's, let's talk about that for a bit. Yeah, for sure. And you know, you made the university of Michigan plug up front. So like, I have to be very clear. Like I grew up in the Metro Detroit area. Cause you know, people sometimes be like, Oh, are you from Detroit, Detroit? Or are you from Metro mm-hmm. Detroit? So uh, grew up in suburbs of Detroit, so uh, originally lived in Southfield and moved out to even a little bit further out suburb, West Bloomfield. Um, okay. So I grew up, you know, two-parent household, have a little sister. Um, and I think a, a thing that was really central to our household, you know, like I said earlier, my dad played uh, in the NFL and then he became a financial advisor when he was done playing. My mom uh, is a public school teacher in, in Detroit public schools. Uh, she's been mm-hmm. a teacher for, you know, I'm 36, almost 40 years, um, right. maybe even 40 years. Um, and so a, a big thing in our household growing up, um, which was a really good balance of like, okay, dad went really far in athletics. Mom uh, believed very strongly in education. Hard work was kind of like a foundational thing in our household. If you're going to play a sport, you're going to work hard and you're going to prepare and you're going to you know, right. be ready. And academically, you're going to work hard and you're, you know, we're not going to take school lightly. And so uh, both my, you know, my sister's three years younger than me. And so 
you know, we grew up in a household where, you know, we, we saw both of our parents go to work and work hard every day. And then they expected us to work hard on the things we did. Um, like I said, school and academics. Um, you know, our, our parents exposed us to a lot of things um, from piano lessons to uh, t- tap dance. My mom even put me in at one point in time and sold me on, oh, some NFL players do it for their footwork. Um, <laughs> To, Mom's got gay. Right. So she would, you know, she would take my sister and I down to the, the Center for Creative Studies in Detroit and you know, put us in acting things. And, you know, just she always exposed us to a lot. And I think that was really formative for, for both my sister and I. Um, and then we both gravitated to basketball. So, uh, you know, played basketball all throughout high school. My sister actually ended up playing D1 basketball. But again, grew up in a household where hard work was expected. Um, yep. And yeah, that was, that was our family dynamic. We had a lot of fun, but, and, but we were always accountable to hard work. And I think our parents would always tell us, Hey, you got to be better than good enough. And you're not like everybody else. You know, I I remember saying to people, well, mom, every, everybody else is doing X, Y, Z or everybody else. Mm. You're not everybody else. And so, um, yeah, just can't, that was kind of our upbringing. We grew up, um, middle, middle class, um, and yeah, I mean, I'm super thankful for the community I grew up in. I grew up in a really di- West Bloomfield was super diverse. Um, grew up with classmates who were, you know, black, white, Jewish, Chaldean, Indian, uh, Latinx. You know, yeah. grew up in you know Metro right. Metro Detroit is like a melting pot. Um, so been exposed to a lot of cultures, um, and I think a lot of those experiences made me made me who I am today. So yeah, that's kind of how I grew up. That's all. I think there's so I think there's a lot that's in there that's really invaluable because first of all i think one of the things that holds us the the collective or royal we as black folks back is we disproportionately live in you know these inner city neighborhoods and we kind of stay in this small radius um and there's just so much this this missed by not being open to all these different experiences like tap and acting or knowing that there are even a people called Chaldean and when, yep. what they are, you know what yep. I mean? Um, more or less growing up with them, interacting with them and Greeks and Jewish and go so on and so forth. Um, all the cultures you were around because it helps you understand that there's not one way to do things. So then when you look back, then you realize I'm, if I do something a particular way, it's because I'm choosing to do it that way. Not because this is the only way to do it. Right. Like there's, there are multiple cultures and there are multiple ways to go about approaching like free time. Like I, I can uh, play video games or I can do tap dance or I can do both. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be an either or, but like opening people's, minds beyond the, the the limited set of options that are in front of them. And then the second piece is really instilling that hard work. So then you help people understand like I'm going to work really hard, but I'm going to work really hard towards what I want. Yep. Right? As opposed to I'm going to work really hard at one of these three things. Because I think oftentimes we as black folks end up having very limited set of options that we're working towards and a lot of it is systemically imposed upon us but some of it ends up being choice as well and so trying to help 
expands people's horizon to realize that there are more choices and options out there. And when they do present themselves, you do got to bust your hump and you can't be like, well, you know, like to your, to your mom's point, you know, everyone else where you're not everyone else. Yep. Like, like this is the situation you're in. The metaphor I always use is, you know, I became a Michigan NBA. And if you say from like birth to being a Michigan NBA for the average white person is going to take 20 steps. Yep. For me, from birth to becoming a Michigan MBA took me 40 to 50 steps. Yep. And I couldn't compare myself to the path someone else had to take because that wasn't my path. That wasn't my reality. This is what you have to do, Anefri, if you want to get here. So I think your parents gave you an amazing gift to by having it instilled uh, such a work ethic in you and your sister because I'm sure it's still paying off for you now in your career. Yeah, I mean, I think um, you know, I think one of one of my favorite sayings is to make the world better, you have to make your world bigger. Um, and like I said, right. outside of the hard work, you know, like my, my parents made our world really big. Like even though you know my parents grew up in inner city Detroit, okay, then we moved to the suburbs, but they made our world so big in that we always went to church in inner city Detroit. I was always on mm. AAU basketball teams in inner city Detroit. Um, but yet we lived in the suburbs. So I think they just, they made our world so big in that, um, I think both my sister and I can be in a lot of different situations, um, cultural situations, uh, different situations. And because they made our world so big and, and exposed us to so much, um, we're able to move, move in a lot of different contexts and be able to move comfortably um because we were mm. our world was so big and we got exposed to so many things and yeah i think they definitely you know all this I, I couldn't have asked for better parents i couldn't have asked to be uh you know i, I wouldn't i wouldn't if i got if people said to you know sometimes people say oh if you had this to do over again would you do it differently no i would i would take my parents over any parents in the world um yeah yeah and yeah and it's and i think the foundation they laid and, and you know my sister she has a great job at google and She's doing her thing in the Bay Area. She lives not far from you uh, in Oak right. in Oaktown. Um, Town business, but uh, yeah, I think I think everything they poured into us um, has manifested itself. So yeah, I'm I'm I can't say enough good things about my parents. Uh, they're the best. Man, salute, salute, man. I'm glad that you uh, have that viewpoint, had that experience too, right? Because I mean, it's it's invaluable. Like the whole what is it, the Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass quote, you know, it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. Yeah. Um, so they did, it seemed like they did an amazing job of building you and your sister up. Now, I, I would love to hear, man, like, so while you were growing up, like, what was the your favorite thing that of all the things your parents tried to get you involved in that were kind of making your world bigger? Yeah. What was the thing that you that somebody from the outside probably would say is like, oh, that's not traditionally what you'd expect a, a black boy to get into um, growing up that you got exposed to that you actually really end up digging. Like, so I say, for example, like I got into baseball and I really got into that. Like I ca caught myself. I almost got a little too colloquial. I really, <laughs> I really, I really got into uh you know, playing baseball. Like I enjoyed everything about it. Like I was a genuine 
baseball player and all the cultures and superstitions that come along with playing baseball. I was into that. Then I would go back home and, you know, play basketball and football with the homies um, from my neighborhood as well. So what, what was it, the thing that you got into that was not necessarily the big thing in your neighborhood, but um, you really enjoyed it? Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's a good question. I mean, I think I definitely was into all the stereotypical things you would think a you know, a young black kid would be into, right. Hip hop, right. hip hop music and sneakers and played basketball. Right. Um, you know, there's, there's, I've seen pictures of myself as a little kid. Uh, you know, my dad taught me to play golf at a young age. Like, mm. I, you know, I've seen pictures of me and him at a golf course when I very little with, you know, swinging a golf club. I can't say I got really into it, though. I mean, I know how to play. And there were times in high school, I would, you know, group of friends would be like, oh, we're gonna go play golf. And I was like, okay, I'll go. I wasn't that good, but I, I knew how to play. Um, right. You know, I think the thing, and again, a lot of it is a function of probably my mom being an English teacher. Um, I loved to write as a kid. You know, I did a lot of a lot of writing. English was always one of my favorite subjects. English, creative writing. And then did a ton of reading. I mean, I my mom, you know, would put books in front of me from a young age, from um, the autobiography of Malcolm X to uh, The Envy of the World, uh, Being a Black Man in America by Ellis Coast, to things like, uh, you know, Great Gatsby to you name it. So I think reading, you know, and I'm still a big book nerd to this day. I'm on Goodreads. I write down every book I read. Um, that's, that's, that's probably probably the thing that's probably unexpected, I would say. Um, yep. And again, I think a lot of that is a function of, you know, and we, we're about the same age. You know, we grew up in that era where, like, you know, there was encyclopedia salespeople that were always selling people right. encyclopedia. So uh, when I would ask my mom a question, she'd be like, go to the encyclopedia, look it up. Um, yep. So um, I think that that pursuit of knowledge, that reading, that anal analytical piece, um, that's probably the one that probably unexpected and that, you know, I did sports and all those things, but um, because we had a house with an encyclopedia, if I, because I'm, you know, my mom will probably tell you, I asked her a lot of questions and she would answer a lot of them, but she'd be like, go to the encyclopedia, look it up. So yeah, um, that's probably how I got into reading. That's, that's super dope. So two things come to mind. One is quick and anecdotal, which is, you know, reading a book is like opening up or like, it's like going on a vacation. Like you can travel through time or to other parts of the world sitting completely still, like your brain just kind of takes off and navigates and you're open to so many different ideas and experience. So I, I think that was an amazing gift that your, your mom gave you. And so folks out there who are a lot of people, I, I get DMS and I get text messages and emails, et cetera, about like, Oh, you should cover this type of topic. And what about this? Or like put together, like almost like these um, skill building classes. And really it's like what I'm trying to pull out in these conversations are key lessons. And it's not put together like a curriculum, but I think this is a key lesson. Like if you're responsible for helping raise young black boys, specifically in terms of what the emphasis is, the bootstraps, you need to make sure you instill a work ethic in them, like make them work hard at whatever it is that they do. You Maybe you should think about putting books in front of them, right? Because the benefit of reading books, it just opens up your whole world to like all this new information and um concepts and ways of thinking about approaching life but uh a very tactical thing 
is there's something that me and my brother shared, you know, when we would talk about anything would come up and we weren't really clear what the word meant or if there would be a debate about the definition of a word, um, we would then go get the dictionary. Right. 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 Like, like right. We had a, there, there was a fair amount of that too in our house as well. Right. There, there's, there's no, there's no reason to continue moving on misinformed. So it's still a habit. Like I don't, I don't get into debates with people about X, Y, and Z and just start talking about what I think it means or what I feel. It's like, we have smartphones in our pockets. Like we could Google the answer and find out. Like let's quit talking in a circle, both of us guessing and not really being sure. And then we find out that, Oh, I was wrong. You know, which happens uh, every now and again, but uh, not too often though. But now like you, you end up finding what the actual answer is and you move forward. But that like kind of thirst for knowledge and learning, I think is a, uh, an important trait to have. So I think it's dope that your mom would send you to the encyclopedia. Don't just ask me. Don't just take my word. Go read up. Get knowledgeable yourself. Well, yeah, and I think the point you made about, you know, children, and I don't, I don't have kids yet, so I'm not an authority, but, um, you know, that notion of, like, putting books in front of them and having them read, you know, and there's ways to do it that are age-appropriate, right? Like, I was super into sports, so then my mom got me into Matt Christopher books. Matt Christopher was a, a author at the time that would write these, you know, fiction stories, but about a kid going out for the football team or the baseball team. And so it was like, okay, uh, that, that's interesting to me. I'll read it. Um, or if it was to get, um, you know, to, to learn math, she would have me go through like the box scores of Pistons games and Detroit free press and, <laughs> right. you know, tally things up that way. Um, and I think you hit on a good point around, and I don't, you know, she'll probably eventually listen to this. I don't want to fully misquote, I think her favorite book is Great Expectations. If, if it's not her favorite, mm. it's one of her favorites. And so I think right. the best gift she gave to to my sister and I was was having great expectations for us. It was never, to your point, um, instilling a work ethic. She just had super high expectations. And um, maybe it's because that's her favorite book. Maybe it's because that's just who she is. But by instilling mm -hmm. those great expectations we were always tasked with how do you meet those expectations and, and exceed those expectations. And um, so, yeah, I a hundred percent agree with you on that's, that's an important thing to instill down to, to black boys and black girls and, and kids in general um, work ethic yeah. and expectations. Yes. So it was interesting. It's something I never fully grasped, but you know, the juxtaposition of how I grew up versus what was expected of me, like my mom had a standard yep. and the circumstances that we lived in did not define that standard. So, you know, we were all expected to go to college. Yep. It just, we just were, it was, or from a behavior standpoint, you know, my mom made very clear what her expectation was. And because she was a single mom, she didn't have time to micromanage us from day to day to day. So she's like, here's what the expectations are. You know, you're supposed to bring home certain grades and you're supposed to conduct yourself at all times as if you're being raised by a family that has some decency and that knows God. Yeah. So when we weren't in my mom's presence, the last thing, the worst thing we could have did was carry ourselves in a way that brought shame on her parenting. Now, 
of course, it, <laughs> it happened, and consequences will be doled out. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. People <laughs> like people. I say like, oh, oh, you got in trouble at like you know as a kid. Oh, afraid of the principal? No, I'm afraid of the principal. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of having an answer to my mom. Yeah, so right. I, I'm, yeah. I'm with you. It's so real. But what was clear though was what the expectations were. Like it was, it was never fuzzy in terms of how my mom expected us to conduct ourselves. And I think those expectations set a bar for us and then gave us an opportunity to rise to it, right? As opposed to just wallowing in mediocrity, for lack of a better term. So, again, that's another key plug, man. I, mean, I hope to, hope to uh, meet your parents someday, man. That's it's, it's really dope well, hearing about how... When we, have our, when we have our Peloton group chat uh, <laughs> reunion, maybe that, that can happen. That can happen. <laughs> yeah, we definitely, yeah, that would be great to make that happen. Yo, by the way, so for you guys who do not know, I recently acquired a Peloton and life-changing. Like, it has definitely made, you know, living through this pandemic just be uh, just so much more enjoyable. But I have the blessing and the curse of knowing Aaron and being in a Peloton group with him. And these dudes are some aliens, man. Like, they they really do inspire me to to work really really hard to try and get within the blast radius of the outputs that they they produce. Uh, it's but it's, it's it's fun to chase y'all as rabbits. Let's be very clear though. I'm not in the alien group. Like I'm more. I'm just. I'm I'm more in it for the fellowship and the jokes. I'm not. I'm not one of the aliens in the group. So <laughs> yeah, I mean. There, there definitely are some dudes in there who put up some crazy numbers, but I've, I've, I've you've been moving, your profile you've been, out. You've been moving up though. I, I've seen your last couple. Your last couple. Uh, when you when you do your daily accountability, you send your score in. You've been moving up. I've been seeing it. I've been seeing it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm putting this because I'm chasing. I'm getting <laughs> there. Like, look, I, I got I got 15 minutes left for this ride to try and put a number up that uh, when I put out my daily accountability, I can. I could be somewhat proud, right? You know, and not get laughed out the room. But no, nah, it's, it's been it's been great, man. It also just goes back to you know, beyond all the jokes, like just the reality of like brotherhood and being able to connect. You know, there's just a lot of things that I I I don't want to say all black men are this way, or even most. I just think in certain circles, you know, there are things that are pushed or that are uh, kind of put out as kind of being okay to do as a black man these other things are not okay to do as a black man but i think the being able to build fellowship with a bunch of brothers around riding peloton i think is so dope and it's so far away from the world i grew up in but i'm glad that it's so far away from the world i grew up in it's one of those things that um i deeply appreciate and look back or look at it now like yeah this is kind of cool that my life is now in this particular space. One, that I can afford one. And two, doing it, I'm not just some weird unicorn. There's a bunch of other brothers out here as well who um, I know to be real ones who have Pelotons and we can all, you know, keep each other accountable. So it's dope. And and 90% of that group is Michigan. So, so, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you know, uh, is, that is a, that is. That is something that we do as well. Right. You know, we... Because we, we, yeah. I, heard, I heard about it early, and I was saying to Pez, I'm like, well, is this only like a Ross group? I mean, I went to Michigan for undergrad. Can I get in the group? Like, so... Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, everyone that... Everyone that... Um, I've, I've known of you and about you for a long time. Everybody that I know that I rock with heavy, 
they all rock with Sebra. And so um, when we finally, you know, connected and started talking, it was like, yeah, no, this this makes perfect sense. I mean, yeah. you, you should have just got that double Wolverine, but I'm sure you were happy to go to Cornell. That is a, that was a great school as well. I know some people went there and actually loved their experience, but you should have been a double Wolverine. It just wasn't in the cards, man. Everything, everything <laughs> happens. Everything happens for a reason. Everything worked out as it was supposed to. So, absolutely. I'm just giving you a bit of a hard time. So, so let's talk about you, though, actually becoming a Wolverine. So you you make it through growing up uh, in the Metro Detroit area. Your parents really put this hard work into you. You got exposed to a lot of different things. Um, you did tap. You did piano. Let's not don't 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 let let's not let this go to print with did tap. Like I did it for maybe a year, maybe a couple like two cycles, but it wasn't did tap. Let's not you gonna run, you gonna try to run with that one to the group chat, and that's not how it went. <laughs> I said my mom exposed me to a lot. I didn't say I did tap. Let's let's be clear. Uh, but, potato, potato. You know right, what I mean? Right. Well, all right. So you were exposed to tap. Yes. You, you definitely go. were exposed to a lot of different books. And then, so you, you go, you make it through um, your formative years and you come through high school. And so what was it like, you know, with your dad having gone to Michigan and played at Michigan? What was it like when you were thinking about where you wanted to go to school? Was it Michigan or bust? Or did you apply to a lot of places? Were you interested in going to different schools? Like, what was the whole college application and decision process like for you? Yeah, you know, honestly, um, you know, high school for me, I was probably overly focused on two things, uh, basketball and girls. Um, mm. And, you know, I was Sounds always, about right. I was, yeah, it was high school, you know, like, uh, and I was all, you know, I was still a good student, but like that was, you know, college was just kind of like a thing. And honestly, I always... I was like, oh, I'm gonna play basketball in college. Like that's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna play college basketball. Um, and to your earlier commentary on sports being the best, the best thing um, to prepare people for life. Uh, you know, for me, high school. You know, I, I was good. I was good at basketball. Um, you know, I would always play really well in AAU. I would always kind of do well on the on the AAU side of things. But then for my high school looking back on it, maybe for a variety of reasons, I never, you know, I, I play a little bit, but I was not like, you know, I would like make a lot of plays and, and play a lot in AAU, but then I come back to my high school and, you know, was role player, bit player. So mm. when it came down to college, um, you know, the summer before my senior year though, I was like, okay, well my senior year, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play more of my senior year on my high school team. You know, we had some upperclassmen graduate. I actually had a knee injury um, summer, mm. summer before my, my senior year took a while came back stress fracture you know just basically senior year was a wash um right and so the only you know basketball opportunities that so when I first got the injury in an AAU tournament that summer my parents like well Aaron you got good grades you got good test score you know we're gonna we're gonna apply to schools you know we're gonna you know you got to think about you know you you missed the opportunity to play AAU this summer we got to think about just going to college and so I mean, I always loved Michigan. I always, you know, my dad, we'd go to, you know, Saturdays, go to the big house, you know, watch Michigan right. football, love Michigan football. So I always loved Michigan. But in my head, like basketball wise, any, I never, and this was back when Michigan basketball wasn't good, um, mm. was never going to be good enough to play in the Big Ten. So I never was like, oh, I'm going to play college basketball at Michigan. I was just like, oh, maybe I could play like low, low D1, um, you know, like Ivy League. Um, right. Then I got hurt. So that that summer fall, my parents were like, no, we need to do applications. And so 
Uh, I sent one into Michigan State. I sent one into Michigan, obviously. Um, there was a D3 school in Michigan that's, that was really interested in me playing basketball called Albion College. I applied to Albion College. And then um, Florida A&M, because I had a cousin who actually, Pez's wife, um, my cousin, uh-huh. Blake, um, went to FAMU and loved her experience there. And I was always interested in the HBCU thing. Um, so I applied to FAMU. And then, you know, I got into all four schools. Um, wow. I, but like, you know, once it was like, okay, well, I could go play D3 basketball at Albion, which is a great, you know, it's a great liberal arts division three school in Michigan. Um, fam, I think I would have had a blast, but when I, <laughs> Michigan State, honestly, jokingly, my, my high school best friend, the, the plan was always, hey, we were, he, he was from a big Michigan State family. Um, White Mike is his name. He was six, seven dude on our basketball team. We were inseparable right. best friends in high school. And the goal was always, hey, we're going to go to Michigan State together and be roommates. But then he got waitlisted at state. So then he was going to go to Western for a year, then try to transfer. So then I got into Michigan, it just felt different. Um, and it just kind of felt like manifest destiny. And right. uh, I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to go to Michigan then because I'm not going to go to state for a year without my homeboy because uh, I was only right, going right. I'm only gonna go if we were going to go together. Um, and I'm super thankful because um, once I got into Michigan, it was like, okay, wow, I got into Michigan. Like, that's, that's a big deal. Uh, and right. it just, you know, felt like the right thing. So, yeah, I didn't, like, I didn't grow up. You know, I grew up always thinking I'm play. I'm gonna get a basketball scholarship. What do you mean? What do you mean college? I'm gonna get a basketball scholarship. You know, naivety of a of a 17 year old kid. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it all you know yeah. everything in in God's order. Um, so yeah, uh, that's how like my thought my thought process was. Those were kind of the four schools I thought through. But then getting into Michigan, it just felt different. Um, yeah, and I think I probably would have done the whole spite my spite my parents thing and gone to state uh, if my buddy would have got in. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, everything, everything happens for a reason. So it's, it's funny. It's funny how, uh, you know, God helps us get out our way, some get out our own way sometimes. Yep. Um, you know, not that there's anything wrong with Michigan State outside of, you know, when, when we play them on Saturdays in the fall. I mean, it, you know, it's a it's a it's a really good school to be able to go to. But like the whole idea of like passing up on going to Michigan strictly despite your parents, like it's an interesting thing that just comes with being young and with youth. Right. Like sometimes we we don't have enough life experience to make the right decisions. And so God kind of helps us along the way sometimes. And For sure. And like, I, let me be clear, like I, all four schools were great schools and I'm, I'm not right. one of those people who subscribes to, Oh, you got to go to the quote unquote best school. I'm more of a believer right. in if you're a rock star or a, dud, mm-hmm. or a dud, you can go to uh, Stanford or Harvard. And if you're a dud going to Stanford or Harvard, isn't going to make you a rock star. You're a dud. If you absolutely, if you're a rock star, you go to university of Phoenix, you're still a rock star. You're going to be a rock star. You know, school where you go to school is just a, it's just a launching pad. It doesn't doesn't mean anything. So all I love Michigan. I think Michigan is the best school, but um, but they were all great schools. Yeah, I I think that's I think that's fair. Talent talent presents itself. Period, regardless of where you come from. And I think that you know it, it can expand to any background, yep. right? Like beyond the school, it can become a zip code that you that you're With raised your up in, right. or right. you know your family circumstance. Like, well, that's not me, right? You know, I mean, a part of it's me, but like. 
that doesn't define like you know my worth. You know, I was raised by a single mother. Yeah. Does Does that mean that I come from a bad home? Not you know, not like, at all. You know, so it's like, yeah, I definitely get get where you're coming from with that. So as you go through, so you're there like the O two to O six time. Yep. You're, you're working your way through Michigan. What was the like the the most compelling part of your undergraduate experience at Michigan? God, I mean, we'd be on this podcast all all night if I uh, went through everything that was compelling. I think for me, it was that process of okay, I got to redefine my identity and how do I channel my energy? Because for, you know, 17, 18 years of my life, it was like, I'm a basketball player. I, right. you know, I don't go to bed at night until I hit 10 free throws in my driveway that don't hit any rim. I lift weights right. at this point in the year. I run, I do running outside at this point in the year. I play AAU this point in the year. This point in the year is my high school season. You know, like for so much of my life, it was like basketball 24-7, 365. It was just my identity, you know. I'm right. wearing my varsity jacket. I'm, I'm a basketball player. Then you get to Michigan, and it's like, okay, well, I'm no longer a basketball player. Um, what am I, and what's my worth, and what do, what do I mm. value, and what do I stand for? So I think the best, the most formative thing was saying, okay, well, all that hard work that, like, I used to channel towards basketball, how do I channel it to academics and channel it to, um, you know, clubs and associations and, you know, things like that. So that was pro- and, and the notion of being away from my parents, even though I was only 45, you know, 45 minutes to an hour away, you know, being on your own, living on your own. I mean, yeah. had some, some fun, <laughs> fun experiences and uh, that won't make it onto this podcast. Uh, just, just, <laughs> yeah, exactly. just learning, uh, being, trying to be a trying to be a young man on your own, figuring it out. Um, you know, ended up being roommates with a couple of guys for one of them for all four years. And then the three of us as, as a three, three of the four. So, um, those are two of, two of the best friends in my life. Um, but just that process of how do you mature and how do you grow, um, when you're kind of left the nest a little bit, uh, as opposed yeah. to you still got to come home at, at curfew. Um, right. And just learning how to just have a new identity and have a new focus and new goals and new dreams. Because for 18 years, the goal and dream was, I'm going to play college basketball. Okay, that one didn't happen. What's the new dream? What's the new goal? Right. What's the new thing you, you focus on? So those were the big things for me in college. Um, so, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's awesome. Though. I think that's, you know, central to, you know, becoming an adult and becoming a man is figuring out, like, what are you going to do when you actually – are responsible, right? Because it's very easy to be mad at mom and dad or to blame mom and dad or leave the responsibility on them. Yep. But like, wh- what are you going to do? Like when it, when it falls on you um, to be able to make the decision or figure your way out. And there's, you know, you go through the bumps and bruises of like the growing pains and you try and figure things out, but it, ultimately, you know, you end up being able to do that. And it's a, I find it to be a really rewarding journey. Like I look back at my, adolescence and I look at my college years and the the mistakes I made like those are not the first things I think of even though there was so much growth and so much trial and error I think of all the great moments and the benefits of those mistakes so long as you're learning from them uh I think it's it's pretty uh I think it's pretty invaluable and I'm glad that you were able to be able to keep falling forward and not losing your way you know especially when you know, ball is life. You know, I was, I was a hooper of all the three sports I played. That was the one I was the best at, but 
I also stopped growing at five nine. Right. Well, that's it. So, yeah, it happens for the best of us. You know, five. I was five eleven in sixth grade, and I was the tallest guy. And then I was six one in twelfth grade. So right. I'm with you. Right. And so then it was like, well, so Neff, like, what's good? Like, you thought you were going to play D1 basketball. You are. You don't have the explosiveness of Allen Iverson and any of the other really small guards. I'm sure Allen Iverson was not six feet, whatever, yeah. however tall he is. Right. He, he wasn't six feet. And right. it's like, and I wasn't Allen Iverson. Right. So what are you going to do? And thankfully, you know, I was always in the, in the classroom yep. handling my business. Yeah. And so you did the same. Yep. And so when, unfortunately you had this, uh, nasty injury, you know, the summer before your senior year, all your eggs weren't in one basket. And it's, it's, it's me stressing that is something that's important to me personally, because I am just the champion of sports. I've been saying it this whole episode. I've been saying it my whole life. I love playing sports. I was the youngest of three boys. We all were athletes and jocks and we love to compete. Our uncles played sports. One of my uncles played minor league baseball. Like we always just like, we're really into playing sports and competing and but I find it to be tragic when culturally when I see black boys put all their eggs in, I'm going to just like D one or bust. Yep. Because the math just is not in your in your favor. And so when it doesn't happen now, like what are you gonna do with your life? Yeah. Because and I think there's, know, there's, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I mean, I think, you know, I talked about my mom a lot earlier, but I think that was a really big area where, um, you know, my dad played a huge role because I think he would always, you know, because like gr- growing up, you know, my dad was a, you know, three sport all state in high school, all American football, all American track, um, and then all state in basketball. But, you know, growing up in Michigan, people were like, oh, like Sebron, are you are you Tom's son? And um, yeah, you know, he was always the one that was always like, hey, the sooner you get on with your life, he, and because like he's he's never one to be like, oh yeah, I played for Bo at Michigan. Oh yeah, I played. And, you know, he doesn't lead with that. Um, but yeah, you know, as a kid growing up, when we you know people would see the last name, like, oh, I remember. Um, but he would he would always stress to me like, the sooner. No, he's like, I made it all the way to NFL, but guess what? When I was done, I had to move on and I had to, I had to move on to new goals and new things. And, mm-hmm. and so I think he was a, cause I remember get, going before I went back to surgery, uh, my senior, the summer before my senior year, he, and he was like, man, this was supposed to be your year. This is just unfair. Uh, we, you know, both sad about it, but then, you know, later on that year, it was like, you know, he was just always the one stressing, Sports ends for all of us. He's like, I made it all the way to the highest level of the sport I loved. But guess what? I still have to move on eventually. And so right. the sooner it happens for you, the sooner you'll be great at something else. And so I think that was a, you know, to your point on D1 or bus and, and not, you know, going off the tracks when it didn't happen. I think if I didn't have him kind of even throughout high school and, and playing sports growing up, always saying invest in it, work hard at it, train. But like, and if it doesn't work out, you're going to move on to something else. He was never the one to say like, oh, go to prep school for a year or do, you know, like he was like, the sooner you move on, the sooner other aspects of your life can become great. And so I think that was a, if I didn't have that, um, it might've been, you know, to your point, to use your words, I might've gone off the rails more because he was always the one stressing sports ends for everybody. And it's a matter of how you move on afterwards. That's man, that's so 
so it's such a blessing to have had the the wisdom of your your father and your mother to kind of be in your ear to give you those important lessons at those really crucial moments. And the thing that I would just stress for people is I'm not great at it, but uh, it's something that I at least try to do is I try and learn from the wisdom and lived experience of other people around me. I think it's a way I know it. I know for a fact it's been central to me being able to go from where I, what a situation I was born into to where I'm at now in my life and my career. Cause if it was all just off of me learning the hard way on my own for everything, I'd still be back in Harbor city somewhere, you know, maybe working at the Lamo mall, <laughs> which is like, you know, uh, I've been at the Lamo. <laughs> I've been at the Lamo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Lamo's where we used to slide, you know what I'm saying? To try to go get phone numbers and whatever. Right. But, uh, right. yeah, you know, like that, that would have been, that would have been my life, you know, but, uh, people out there who are listening, like take advantage of what Mr. Sebron had to like offer what Mr. Sebron had to offer because just because you didn't get to grow up with Mr. Sebron as your dad, like this knowledge is now being shared right now. Like if you are in the sports, sports ends for us all at some point, even if it's, you have this long hall of fame career, hall of famers do eventually retire. Right. And it's just over. It just is what it is. And so, when it does, how do you then go and become great at something else? Um, which goes back to being able to have multiple skills and, and being like, it's not just D1 or bus. It's like making sure that you're educated, making sure that you have friends from different, different backgrounds, making sure that you experience tap dancing as opposed there, to. There you go. There you go. <laughs> well, yeah. So I, I think that's amazing. It's really encouraging to hear your full story. Um, and before I let you get out of here, man, there are, there are four questions, you know, I just got to get you on the record for to, so that people now have your full background and context of kind of how you became who you are. I think they can be really helpful as people trying to figure out how to navigate their own lives. And the first of which is we get subjected to a lot of gaslighting. We get subjected to a lot of like blatant, intentional racism and discrimination where people say and do things overtly to make you feel unwelcome. Some of it is uh, more subtle, but nonetheless, there becomes like this, you know, there's the, the Baldwin quote is to be black and conscious is to be in a perpetual state of rage. Like, so there's this undercurrent of like frustration that, you know, black folks have to live with. And so I think it's important to be able to master that frustration um, so that you can handle certain situations, um, to your strategic benefit. So with that background and context, could you share a story from your life at any point in time in your life? It can be, you know, as a business professional, it can be back when you were a kid, anywhere in between where someone has gone low and has been intentionally disrespectful to you. Um, but you chose to take the high road and it turned out to be in your best interest. Yeah, no, it's a really good question. Um, you know, I would start by saying in general, you know, as a people, we don't necessarily get the benefit of going low back. The, the second we go, mm -hmm. the second we go low, you know, we it could have life altering uh, implications for us. But right. the one that I think pops for me, um, and again, I talked to you about my high school, how I grew up, um, which, you know, again, was like melting pot ish, a lot of different cultures. Um, so my senior year, 
this is probably spring of my senior year. Uh, I was in a science class and, you know, I've, I've been through four years of high school at this point. So it's spring of my senior year. It's the end of the, you know, people are starting to know where they're going to college. I think I had known I was going to Michigan at that time. And, you know, I've been an athlete all of high school. So, you know, you, as and you know, you played sports, like, even though you might not have played, like, you know, I played football and I played basketball. Now, I didn't play soccer, but because, you know, you have one locker room, things like that. You know, I knew the soccer team. I knew the baseball team. I knew the, right. the other teams. And so there was a guy who was on the soccer team. We, we, I wouldn't say we were, like, friends. Like, we hung out outside of, outside of school. But, like, we had been in classes together over the four years. You know, we were friendly. And we right. sat by each other in this science class. Um, and, you know, that spring, you know, th- and this was pre kind of the affirmative action um, lawsuit situation at Michigan. Um, so that was always like a big thing around Michigan and before, like the way their application went, there was always mm-hmm. kind of before the Supreme Court made that decision and changed their application process. And so, again, this is a guy I'm friendly with. We've been in locker rooms together. He's on a soccer team, social circle, athlete social circle. And he didn't get into Michigan. Uh, he was, you know, he was a white, a white guy. Um, and he said to me, well, you, you know, like this is like either before class ends or before class starts. But he basically is like talking about how he didn't get into Michigan. He's like, well, Aaron, the only reason you got into Michigan is because you're black and your dad played football there. And, you know, in that instant, in that moment, um, mm. it's like, man, like this is a guy that, you know, at least we were friendly and in the same circle had respect for one another. I, I see you as a person and maybe you really wanted to get into Michigan or wanted to go to Michigan and you didn't, but you're, you're spewing that at me. And so like, what do you say back to that? And I don't, you know, honestly, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I know I didn't go low. I think I probably just sat with it, but the way I was able to kind of go high with it, that's something that always stuck with me and probably honestly sticks with me a little bit to this day. And so when I got to Michigan, independent of, okay, identity, things like that, I was like, man, do like there's always that little voice of do I did did I do I deserve to be here I think I do but this person said this and so like my first Mm -hmm. you know my first year at Michigan uh, I popped back to back 4.0s you know my first Mm. my first year in college was a straight 4.0 year first semester 4.0 second semester 4.0 and so this is not about grades but I think that was a situation where it's like okay I could have let that derail me I could have let that hurt me I could have socked the dude in the face when he said it but Instead, I'm like, all right, I'm going to sit with this one. And then when I got to Michigan, it's like, I'm going to show him and show everybody else that I do deserve to be here. And I didn't just get here because I'm black because my dad played football here. Right. So that was, right. you know, puts a little chip on your shoulder. And um, it's honestly one that always sticks with me because I'm like, okay, there's always going to be people that think I'm not good enough or I'm a charity case or I'm only gotten this because of X, Y, or Z. There's an impetus on me then to – even if they're not even still saying it, I always got to show people I do deserve and, and, and do deserve to be here and, and prove it, prove it every day. Yeah. And the only thing that I will add to that is people who spew that mess. Cause it's, it's pervasive. Like I have a thousand stories and other people have a thousand stories or something similar, but that's about them. You know, it's really not about you. Yep. That's about them and their insecurities and, their you know ignorance yeah but um nonetheless we do have to carry the weight of it and i'm glad that you were able to turn it into fuel as opposed to you know 
let it turn into baggage that weighed you down and, and, and derailed you. Um, next, next question I have for you is uh, when, when you think about your journey, how, how would you describe it in one word? Do I just do I just get to say the word, or do I get to say the word and then you get the word and then word. give the context? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, cool. Um, yeah, I would say, hmm, I think the one word I would use would be evolution. Um, you know, it's a okay. it's a constant journey of evolution, and and for me, you know, evolution is all about kind of those gradual changes. Uh, you know, think about like Darwin, right? Like each mm. each uh, subsequent kind of evolution of man you you kept what was useful and you discarded what was not um ultimately in the process of getting better so i don't think that i don't think i'm the best really at anything i think i'm just really good at getting better so i think i'm constantly evolving and i think with that with evolution right like if you think about again to go back to darwin if you think about that right you can go to a zoo and you can go to the you know the apes part of the zoo and you can see how we evolved from that uh, and you can see the connection. And so I think as I'm always evolving, I'm staying connected to kind of what what and where I once was. You know, I never lose sight of what I evolved from, but I'm still trying right. to get better. And then I think with that kind of spirit of evolution, there's a lot of range within that because to evolve, you know, for man to start standing up, trees had to get taller, you know, like. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of range in that to evolve. you got to be exposed to various things and you got to be able to connect those dots from the things you, the range of things you've been exposed to when the opportunity presents itself. So I think evolution is the one that, that sums it up for me um, and just always trying to continually evolve, but not, but not, but not forget where I, where I evolved from because it's important, important to to look back at that piece too and and have that connection. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's great. And you just kind of gave me an interesting way to look at, you know, my own, journey and struggle something we can get into deeper at another time but in short just giving myself permission to continue to evolve because i've always done it but there's been this reluctant piece because i want to stay connected to what i'm evolving from in particular the people in the community that i come from um but yeah like giving yourself permission to go ahead and evolve um that's that's dope if you were to um Come like what if you were to define success for your life, what would that definition be? It doesn't need to be applicable to other people's lives, other people don't need to agree with it. But, like, for you, what's your metric of success? Whereas, like, you look look at yourself in the mirror, it's like, I feel good about who I am. Yeah, for me, you got some good questions, man. Um, (laughs) I mean, I think for me, success is about. all the individual efforts I make, all the things I achieve individually, those all have to, to serve and have a positive impact on others because if they don't, it's not successful. Right. So it's not about, okay, I'm going to do this cause I'm going to get a nice car or a nice house. Or, you know, I, I would love to have all those things, but, but for me, it's about those, those things I achieve and the effort I make, if that doesn't have a positive impact on other people, then it's not, it's not successful. So for me, it's, 
it's probably maybe a slightly different take than maybe some people might have. But for me, it's like, I have to, I have to do things that help me positively impact others as opposed to just being self-serving. Yeah. I I think it's great. I think it's great for people to hear, you know, that's, um, yeah, I did the, you know, who in to, to the point, like it doesn't matter if other people agree with it or not, but for what it's worth, it's something that resonates with me deeply. Cause I think that, you know, obviously the last episode I put out was his brother, Aaron Dean. Uh, he, um, he grew up in inner CLA, went to Dorsey high school, which is one of the more famous schools in inner city LA. Um, and long story short, he had this classic, you know, inner city LA upbringing and experience. And so he's navigated out. He's in a situation now. He's like, Married, beautiful young daughter, daughter. He works at Ubisoft. His wife is a lawyer. And what is that balance of being able to be present in his current life that he's building, but being able to make sure that his current life is benefiting a greater community as well? You know, it's like, it's not just about like, hey, I just bought a new fill in the blank. Yeah. You know, yeah. I just I just got you know my fifteenth watch right to add to my watch collection. You know, it's like now, like how do I use my my uh, success to be able to benefit other people? So yeah. that's awesome. And then the, the last question, to get you off the hot seat, uh, is of all the stress and, and negativity that comes with being black, it's still I find it to be an ultimately amazing gift. Um, But with that very biased framing, what is it that you love the most about being a black man? Oh man, like so many things. Uh, You know, earlier I talked about things I wouldn't, I wouldn't change. I wouldn't trade. This this is definitely one I wouldn't trade. Um, Being a black man is is the best thing in the world. Um, I think the thing I love most is, is honestly, and you hit on it a little bit earlier is, is just the brotherhood with other black men. You know, I think um, whether it's in a boardroom, you know, whether it's on the block, um, you know, that, that notion of coming into contact and coming into fellowship with, with other black men who you could be in an instance where before you say a word, before you know each other's names, anything like that, um, there's that mutual respect um, that, that likely probably comes from that shared experience um, mm. that's associated with like moving through the world and, and moving through a world that, that loves you and loathes you at the same time. And right. I think it's, and in that brotherhood, there's an appreciation that probably that, that, that I would say comes from knowing what it took to get to that notion, get to that moment where, okay, I see you in a boardroom. I see you on the block, knowing mm-hmm. what it took to make it to that interaction. Um, right. And usually that interaction is, is cemented with a nod, depending if you're older or younger, it's an up nod or a down nod, um, right. you know, making it to that interaction as opposed to becoming a statistic, meaning like in jail or dead or you name it. Right. So like all you have that, that foundational thing of like, okay, before we got to this interaction, I already respect you and appreciate and understand all you had to endure to get to this point and not be a statistic. But then you also understand what it's going to continue to take 
on an ongoing basis after this interaction for neither of us to become a statistic. Um, right. And I think that brotherhood really manifests itself in a lot of ways. It's, it's like, um, you know, from the silliness of all the group chats that we're all in, you know, <laughs> you and I are the one together to right. the way we support each other in all life's moments, you know, big or small, um, because that brotherhood is something that helps us not succumb to the odds, but it also helps yeah. us understand each other because again, no matter you know, you see somebody anywhere, you understand what it takes to move through the world um, and what will take to continue to move through the world. So to me, it's just that brotherhood um, that, that you can have with, with other black men uh, and, and continue to build each other, support each other and know that it's not a zero sum game. No, we can all, we can all right. come up if we continue to support each other. That's, that's so real. And it's, you know, the, the head nod is one manifestation of it. I think another one is, you know, a phrase I think we uniquely, we, we, I think we came up with it, at least the context which we use it, is I see you. Right, I, I see you. you. Yeah, I see you. Right, see and, you. And, that, and that's that's a compliment, right. you know? Right, uh, Yeah, or like, yeah, or like the way, you know, like, I, uh, you know, the way we bust on each other when, right. you know, like, because people who don't know, it's like, man, why are you always making fun of that person? It's like, that's how I show love. Like, I, you know, that's how exactly. I show love. Um, right. So, yeah, I think because it's that it, brotherhood. Yeah, I think I think it's I think it's dope, man. And we have our own unique vibe. And so I appreciate you adding to that vibe in the context of bootstraps. You know, this is this is built, you know, uh to be able to help enlighten other people who are out here on their journeys at different points. You know, I've I've been pe- people have been reaching out since this has come out. I know people who are highly successful MBAs and executives and uh lawyers and whatever it may be and they're getting really useful uh, knowledge and inspiration from uh, these different episodes and people sharing their story, as well as folks who are younger in the game or folks who are parenting young black boys. I know people who are like sending these episodes out to their kids, you know, to listen to help provide some guidance and inspiration. So I know for a fact, this is going to go down as, Another one of the great episodes that people are going to love to hear and they're going to share around. And I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of emails and direct messages about it. So I am honored and I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to hop on here and uh, share your story with us, man. No, man. I I mean, I've always enjoyed listening. You know, I've always enjoyed kind of your energy since we since Courtney Schroeder put us in that book club together. So, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, applause, applause to you for all you're doing, telling people stories. Uh, we need more. We need more positive black stories out there. So I'm I'm, I'm honored and thankful that you have me on. And uh, you know whatever I can do to help you going forward, other than whooping your butt on the bike, uh, <laughs> you know let me let me know because I'm I'm here for all of it, man. And I think you know what you've done with Bootstraps has been great, and I'm just honored that I got to be a guest. So I appreciate that. Man, appreciate it deeply. And I see you on the bike. Uh, matter of fact, uh, we got to ride tomorrow morning. Tomorrow so, morning, yeah. Let's... Get up. Be there. <laughs> All right, brother. I appreciate it, man. I'll talk soon. Peace. Later.